Hey, Tomas. Hey. Can you, can you hear me okay? It's my first time ever talking on Clubhouse. I can. How you doing? Doing good. Good to see you, man. I guess hear you. Good to hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good to hear from you, man. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time out of your day to work to attend this. It's going to be fun. Can you it's hear me? Really fun. Yeah, just let, let me know if um, you can't hear me and I'll, I'll get my headset. No, you're coming in. You're coming in good. Um, we'll get started. We'll get started in about five minutes or so. Let yeah, me no, just get the no rush. set up. Uh, so I'll make you a moderator. Um, and we'll let, we'll let folks uh, sort of uh, join in. Uh, they should be coming in soon. I've got a few mods that may or may not make it tonight. Uh, so we'll see. I know, it's, you know it's, a, it's a busy work week for a lot of people. So we'll see. We'll see how it pans out today. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, inviting me. And um, yeah, always happy to make time. You've made a lot of time for me in the past. <laughs> no, look, I, I think it's going to be a good conversation. I, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about, you know, not only your, your journey and your story, but, you know, what it's like to, to start a business. You know, last week we had uh, another CEO for a startup at a healthcare cybersecurity company called Silera. Uh, I don't know if you know Timur, um, but he was on last week. And, you know, this week we have you uh, focused on a secure email gateway, if you will. Right? And I know we're not here to really talk about uh, abnormal, but, you know, just everything around what you're doing and how you've gotten to where you are is going to be really interesting for folks, I'm sure. Um, definitely for me as well. So let me just set up the room real quick and then we'll kind of jump right in. Uh, so we'll talk about some entrepreneurship this evening. We will do some networking, of course. Uh, what else should we talk about? I'm trying to get the topics. Uh, it's usually like three topics that are, that Clubhouse lets you add to the room. Um, let's see. Let's do those. Can't think of a through right now. All right. So we pinned you at the top. So everybody could click on you. Click on you. You're probably going to get a few LinkedIn requests, which is good. Um, but hopefully people uh, people uh, connect with you. Uh, there's a few regulars in the room that I, that we that are here usually every week, so I'm sure they'll pop up at some point once we open up for questions and they'll jump up on stage to uh, to ask some questions. But how are you doing? You're you're out west, right? Or are you are you traveling? Yeah, I'm uh, in the Bay Area. Okay. And Tomas, um, for, forgive me for um, you know uh, for not knowing this, but is kind of the the normal topics you talk about is entrepreneurship or like any any kind of themes you'd recommend? I focus on no it's it's usually so it's usually really free form and more centered around the journey your journey so depending upon what you share and and what people are sort of uh, what they gravitate towards in terms of uh, your your journey that you know questions will will start to uh, follow that path um, sometimes we'll get different questions that that might pop up that are more specific to either security, depending on, so you're a cyber, cyber, in the cybersecurity realm, so there might be some questions that are like that. 
Um, but it's a, 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 a like when I tell you it could really go anywhere, it could really go anywhere in the conversation. <laughs> oh, and well, that's, I, that's what I like about it. Like it's not, yeah. you know, I didn't send you any questions beforehand. There's no, this is a very candid conversation, which is what I like. Yeah. Um, and most of the people that I guess keep coming back because they like that as well. But you, you'll <laughs> that, see, you'll see as we get That makes sense. Well, as, as you know, Tomas, like I'm, I've always been a super direct, you know, open, honest person. And I didn't even tell our PR team about this. So, you know, we should be totally <laughs> unfiltered. Well, that's, that's, that's good. If you need me to delete it afterwards, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, you let me know because, uh, <laughs> no, no I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a really fun conversation. We'll be, we'll be completely, completely fine. So people, people are starting to fall in. It's kind of like, you know, uh, like if we were, at a conference, right, where people start to file in, and then we'll, we'll sound the we'll sound the alarm in a second and, and kind of get started. Um, but it's good to uh, it's good to see familiar names and faces, at least their images, uh, in the audience. Um, so I'm sure we'll get a we'll get some good questions from folks. Uh, let's see. So look, let's just do some quick, I'll do some quick, uh, house rules. Uh, the other moderators, as I said, there's a, there's, there's a good amount of moderators that we usually have. Uh, some folks that send me on the back channel that they are still either stuck at work, stuck in meetings. Um, it is Ramadan. So some might be trying to, uh, get in some last bits of food, uh, before we kind of jump right in. So I, I completely understand that. Um, and, and, uh, I completely appreciate that. So just some quick ground rules and, and I'll, I'll go, I'll go through this, um, uh, for the most of the, most of the folks in the room already know this, uh, but let's get, we're going to have a good time this evening. We'll have fun. It's the middle of the week. We usually use this as that sort of session to decompress a little bit. Um, because sometimes it's been a rough week, right? We've been dealing with rough cyber issues. This week, I think it's been a little bit easier. I think there's been maybe some some Google vulnerabilities and things like that have popped up. And uh, so, you know, from from typical CISOs and other cyber professionals, I'll say it's it hasn't been too bad. And I don't want to jinx it because the week is, is, is still Wednesday and it's, uh, we've still got a few more days to go. But we're going to have fun. Uh, we're going to have an open dialogue conversation, really get to know you and, and your sort of journey and, and your your background. Um, I usually go through the spirit of our comments and opinions are our own and not representative of our prior or current employer. Uh, that goes specifically for me. Uh, you're the CEO, Evan, so uh, you, I'm sure you've got your own level of disclaimer. Um, that said, um, there are folks in the room. There's a few folks in the room that I don't recognize seeing. So if you're new to our clubhouse, we do this every Wednesday. We run from about 8 p.m. Eastern time to about 9.30 p.m. Eastern time or so. Uh, we'll ask uh, our guests, uh, in this case, Evan Reiser, the questions for about 30 to 45 minutes or so. And then we'll open it up for the audience to ask questions. Uh, depending upon how many moderators join us, I might ask for some audience participation and audience help maybe a little bit sooner just to uh, keep the conversation going. Um, so if you are new to our clubhouse, uh, there's a little greenhouse on the top left of your screen, right next to where it says Fireside Chat. You can click that. You can join the club if you're not already a member. Uh, as I mentioned, we do this every single Wednesday uh, for about an hour and a half or so. But if you join our club, you can see all of our upcoming guests, and we have a, a good amount of people joining. And you can hear the replays for uh, the prior sessions, so you can go back and, and play that back. So 
without further ado, uh, why don't we sort of kick into the conversation? What we usually do is we, we go around the room and introduce ourselves. It is just you and I. Uh, so I'm going to introduce myself and then I'll pass it over to you, Evan, and you can introduce yourself. So I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO at the NFL. So Evan, I'll pass it over to you. Why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself, and then we'll kind of jump right into the Q&A. Sounds good. Uh, my name is Evan Reiser. As, you ha- have you, as you've shown this link here, I'm the CEO of Abnormal Security, um, which is a uh, cybersecurity company I started about uh, four years ago. I've been an entrepreneur for about 15 years or so. My background's in uh, software engineering and product management. Awesome. Evan, I usually like to open up the session with asking uh, our guests about their origin story. And the reason why I do that is, one, yes, I'm really interested in what you do today. But I'm almost more interested in how you got to where you are today and everything in between. So, you know, we're superheroes to a certain extent, right? We're here fighting crime, you know, trying to keep companies afloat, you know, trying to uh, uh, keep people from losing, uh, you know, their livelihood, if you will. So there is some level of superhero-ness to this origin story, which is where I, I kind of get this from like the Marvel and, and all those DC uh, movies. So why don't you take a moment and tell us about your origin story and, uh, and share, obviously you can share as much or as little as you want, but you know, give, it, give us some insight into you. That, that sounds great. And, and Tomas, give me some guidance. Do you want the one minute version, the five minute version? I don't want to ramble on about I, uh, I don't want to ramble I too usually, long. I usually like the ten-minute version. So if you have a okay, if you okay, have cool. a five to ten-minute version, go for it. Yeah, um, I do, and and I think it's a great topic. Uh, I mean, a lot. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, and just for context, you know, Abnormal Security is an email security company. It's about four years old. Um, it's it's I think the second fastest growing cybersecurity company of all time. And so I talk to a lot of people, and they're you know they're impressed with what we do today. But some of what you mentioned, Tomas, they they kind of forget that like, you know, all these overnight successes are like multiple decades in, in the making, right? So I think it's good to kind of go go back through that. And uh, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs that say, hey, I want to like, I want to I want to have a career just like yours. I'm like, no, don't have it like mine. Like I wasted 15 years of my career doing like silly things Like you should, you should do the way faster version, learn from that. So I'm um, happy to share kind of the, the origin story. And um, I'll probably focus more on like all the mistakes I made along the way and some of the lessons I learned rather than you know, um, you know, the, the least initial success we're having today. So just, you know, please interrupt and give me guidance if I start, you know, rambling. That's, that's perfect. Stuff. No, that's perfect. And, and Evan, if you can go even as back as to like, you know, what you studied and, and how you, you yeah. know, where you grew up and things like that, that's, I think that's great. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk about it. Cause it, you know, it, it does influence kind of, you know, uh, how, how I started entrepreneurship. So I, I grew up in uh, California in the Bay area, um, you know, grew up in kind of like a very classic kind of, you know, middle-class, you know, suburbia family. Uh, my, my, my family on both sides are kind of immigrants. And so we grew up in a house that was, you know, very frugal, right? Although, you know, um, you know, we, we weren't poor very luckily. Um, but part of that was, um, you know, my, my parents were very frugal and I was, you know, as a young kid, I got, you know, really into computers and video games. Right. But of course in, uh, you know, in a very frugal household, I had to, you know, buy my own toys to all my own toys, right? So when I wanted to get a computer, I wanted to buy a video game, I had to go and, uh, you know, figure out how to pay for that. So I got into entrepreneurship really early, you know, did everything from your classic lemonade stand to 
you know, tutoring people on computers, eventually started, you know, building computers um, to kind of feed my video game, you know, passions. And, um, you know, was not a super great student in high school, was, was smart enough to like, you know, do okay, but it was, it was not through great, kind of great studying. It was really just from, uh, you know, being kind of smart and, um, you know, probably spent a little bit too much time on the computer right in high school. And then when I decided to uh, go to college, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. There's really no, it gave me any guidance. And so I was like, I want to like build computers for a living, right? Because I want to, you know, continue to feed my video game hobby. And so I went to school for computer engineering. And I thought at the time that that was, you know, building computers. It turned out to be uh, electrical engineering and a lot of, you know, math and calculus, which I, you know, um, didn't expect. Um, I wasn't very thoughtful on where I went to school. I went to the school called uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic, which is in upstate New York. And I had no idea, like I just picked, I opened up some book and I saw that was a computer engineering school and I applied to it. And that was pretty much all the thought that went into it. Um, and I didn't quite realize how uh, cold it would be in upstate New York relative to uh, you know the Bay Area. So when I got to school, um, it's a, it's a, it, you know, took the classic kind of software engineering, electrical engineering type classes. Um, I did really badly because, you know, in high school, I was smart enough to pass, but never really built, you know, good study habits. So I actually failed out of college my first year. Um, I got three Fs in my second semester, which is, which is an automatic expulsion, right? So I flew back home to the Bay Area and uh, my, uh, I'll ask my parents, like, hey, wh what do I do now? And they're like, go get a job. And so I, uh, you know, that summer I uh, got a job at uh, local TCBY, which is like a frozen yogurt place. I made, I think, six twenty-five an hour plus tips, and I did that for like two, you know, probably six weeks. And I got my first paycheck, and I was like, two hundred bucks. I'm like, this sucks. Like I work my ass off, and you know, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And so I figured out a way. I basically, you know, reapplied to the school, and I think I told some sort of sob story ended up getting back into the, to the school right the next semester. And, um, you know, I just lived in the library and I, I was, you know, I, I learned to like actually build up some, you know, good study habits and ended up, you know, doing quite well in school. And then after school, I had no idea what I want to do in life. And so I, um, but I knew I wanted to like, um, so I applied to a bunch of jobs and I ultimately accepted a job in, um, at a Wall Street firm kind of doing, doing software. Although I didn't go to school for software, I went to school for electrical engineering. And so I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to live in Manhattan because that sounded really cool as a you know 22-year-old. So I moved, uh, moved to New York City, uh, got a job on Wall Street, learned kind of on the job how to do, you know, what at the time was very, you know, probably basic software engineering. Um, and was very fortunate, had a lot of great mentors and, and, you know, many friends I have today, actually some of, you know, a couple of which actually work at Abnormal Security. So I did that for about 18 months. And, um, you know, at, at some point I went to, uh, you know, went out to one of the wall street bars and I talked to some guy and he said, um, you know, I said, Oh, like, you know, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, I'm just going to keep working on wall street for one more year. And then like, I'm finally going to go live my life. And I'm like, Oh my God, is this the, is this the path of mine? Am I going to be this guy in like 20 years? And so I think I quit my job in a couple of weeks and I was like, I'm going to go start my own business. And I didn't really know what I was doing or how to do it. And um, I'll, I'll maybe save the details of that initial business um, for some other time. But, you know, started a, um, you know, a, a consumer internet company, great product. We had lots of users on our website. Um, it, you know, it was actually quite successful, kept paying more and more server bills, but didn't make any money. And so I ended up like, 
everything I'd saved up my first job, I basically ended up uh, kind of losing to this business. And it was a great product. We built this great community, but just, you know, we were just, the server bills cost more than, you know, uh, than we could, we could afford. So I ended up shutting it down. Um, I uh, ended up playing uh, professional poker or, you know, which is not very glorious, but, you know, nights and week or nights and or Fridays and weekends uh, in Atlantic city, just to pay my rent, which is not a very, glorious profession, even though it sounds kind of sexy. Um, and then I kind of realized at that point, like I didn't, I really wanted to start balloon. I kind of proved to myself that I could go do it, but I had no idea what to do. So I, I've uh, moved back to California, ended up meeting up with some um, executives from Yahoo. Um, and we started this uh, daily deal company. It was kind of like luxury Groupon. We, uh, that was kind of my first experience with venture capital. I knew nothing about how that worked. Um, we ended up raising a bunch of money and built this, uh, you know, a pretty big company, about 250 people. We raised about $50 million in venture capital. And um, it turned out it was not a very good business, right? So I learned a little bit about that. But, um, you know, I ended up leaving the company and we sold the company to to JP Morgan for, you know, pennies on the dollar, like didn't make any money, you know, personally from that. And I was like, okay, now I know a little bit more of business. You know, I know this is a bad business model, but I understand at least the importance of like making money in the business. So I had to go start my third company, which was a um, advertising technology company. And, um, you know, it was really kind of, you know, I really just want to prove the world that I could, you know, build a business that was successful and that the last two ones were flukes. And so I spent a couple of years doing that. Um, and it was like a moderately successful business. You know, we maybe made a million dollars a year and we had 10 employees, but it kind of like, you know, kind of like going anywhere. It was kind of like this zo a zombie type company that wasn't dying or wasn't kind of growing. Um, and, I, and very fortunately, um, we actually got acquired by this kind of um, uh, uh, machine learning kind of behavioral ad targeting company called Telepart, which is a really small company at the time. It's about 30 people. And we had, I think, seven people. And we kind of joined together. And I became the first product manager at this company. And, um, you know, I kind of got in and, um, you know, I, was re I really wanted to prove to the CEO that it was a good acquisition. And I kept trying to, put you know, push why our product would be a great integration of their product. And at some point, like the head of engineering came to me and said, Evan, like, what are you doing? Like, Teleport's got a great business. Your product sucks. It makes no money. Why are you trying to drag all of our energy into your stupid product when like this other part of the business is doing great? And I, I was like very defensive. And I, you know, kind of like argued with him about why I thought it was great. And at some point he just said, um, Evan, like, I think you just have a big ego and like, you just care about showing why your startup was a good acquisition rather than actually trying to help the team go win. And I was like, screw you, man. Right. I like kind of went home that night. I was like pissed off. And then for whatever, and, 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 you know, basically what he told me is like, Hey, I feel like you're just trying to like prove to the world that you're capable of doing something rather than actually trying to like help the team or help the customers go win. And there was some, like, I, you know, th this guy's name is Wade. He's a mentor of mine today. Something about what he said really clicked to me. And I realized that I really spent kind of the first decade of my career just kind of trying to like prove to myself that I could do it right without really thinking about the why behind it. I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder and for whatever reason, this guy got through to me and I spent, you know, the next, you know, you know, six months of this company Telepart really listening and learning and trying to just like try to figure out all the people that, you know, didn't have my experience. What experience did they have? And what could I learn from them? And I really feel like I learned more in like, my 12 months of this company Telepart than probably the 12 years of my career, right? And I'd, I spent a lot of kind of my my life just trying to teach myself things, right? And trying to figure it out myself. And there's kind of a point in my career where I think things really changed, where I kind of realized that 
the best way to learn things is not just to like figure it out yourself and try to be a hero, but find other really great people and try to learn as much as them from as possible. And so, you know, we ended up shutting down kind of my product. I, I ended up leading the product for kind of the main part of the business. The business was very successful. We, we went from, we went to, we went from like zero to about a hundred million dollars of revenue in about five years, right? With only a hundred and hundred people at the company. So it was very successful. Uh, we ended up selling the company to Twitter um, in 2015 um, for, for about $500 million. And it was, it was successful. I ended up leading the kind of machine learning team at Twitter, kind of doing all of the ads. So any annoying ads you guys see on Twitter, that's my fault. I apologize. Um, and, you know, really, you know, Twitter, it was kind of a bit of a culture cl culture clash. I never worked at like kind of that big of a tech company. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot. I, you know, just kept trying to like learn about how to do things at a big company, but ultimately realized kind of it wasn't, wasn't right for me. So I uh, left Twitter, um, you know, in 2018 to go start Abnormal Security. And um, it's as, as Tomas knows, I talked to him back in those days, I was, you know, a total amateur. I had never did anything in cybersecurity, but um, both me and kind of the team I'd built had became really good at this kind of machine learning and um, behavioral kind of understanding of users. Um, so we, we said, you know, in the, the kind of inspiration there was we saw the world moving to the cloud. We knew that people were going to start using new types of technology to go do their jobs that would really have an impact on cybersecurity. And we felt that if we could take some of the technology we'd built in ads and go talk to, you know, smart customers um, about what some of the problems were and kind of why the existing solutions weren't working, we could kind of figure out how to go build, you know, um, new, te new technology and, um, you know, solve those problems. So when we started the company, we didn't really know exactly what we wanted to do. And we talked to probably about 100 people, Tomas, you, you included, and we just asked them, hey, what is the, you know, biggest problem you see in cybersecurity and IT? And we made a giant spreadsheet of what people said. And the most common thing was, you know, social injuring, fraud, and phishing. So we really try to kind of focus on those use cases. Um, and uh, you know, that was about four years ago. We've we've grown the company to about, um, you know, almost four hundred people today. And today we protect about five percent of the Fortune one thousand. So, um, and I'm still trying to uh, learn and grow and just surround myself with people that are a lot smarter than me, so I can continue to up my game as you know I grow and our company grows. So happy to go into. All the other ways I kind of screwed up in my career that I didn't mention, but those are probably some of the the big milestones and highlights for me. Man, I'm 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 sitting here smiling, laughing, cracking up because not because of your story, uh, uh, your uh, I'll call it your 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 learning opportunities, but it's just everything, like everything that you just kind of went through, which is it's just amazing. It's amazing, and the funny thing is. You know how, how, well, not you know how, but I remember when I met you back in, I guess, 2018. It, damn, it's been that long that, that we've known <laughs> yeah. each other. That, that is, uh, that's awesome. Um, I was just thinking to myself, if I would have known all of those, all of those mishaps or, or different opportunities in, in that journey, would I have still had confidence in you and, <laughs> and to talk about what, was, what you were doing? But no, look, I, I, re, I, I remember. I remember when, when we met, you know, and, and I won't go into too much of that detail, but you know, I remember our, our mutual sort of VC put us in touch with, put me in touch with you. And it was like, Hey, we've got this, we've got this startup, got a great idea. Why don't you chat with them and, and, you know, get, give me your thoughts. And, and it, it just, I immediately clicked with you 
specifically around not only the, the, the problem that you were trying to solve, which was very timely at that point in time. If you think about 2018, not a lot of people were focused on business email compromise, right? I don't even think it was called that back then. I think it was, you know, maybe, I don't know if there was a specific label on it. Maybe it was from the FBI, but anyways, the point is you were, you were trying to solve a problem and I can tell from your journey of different opportunities that, yeah, it clicked for you where you were trying to add value back into the community, back into the business. And that's what is sort of uh, able to drive a lot of success from, uh, for you, for you early on, and as well as you know where you are today, I I think um, I don't know if you would agree with that, but I, I it it does seem that way, right? It does seem that way because you've taken more of a I don't want to say a customer centric view, but more of a more of some of a customer centric view and more of a a value proposition back to the companies that you interface and interact with you, and 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 I think that's that's great. I think that's great, and that's that's what we should should all strive to do, right? How do we add value? to the people we're interacting with uh, and the companies that we work for. But man, that <laughs> such a funny story. I mean, such a funny story so far. Um, I do want to give Hussein a minute to introduce himself and then uh, we'll, we'll probably, I, I want to know about that first failure, but uh, let me see if Hussein has any any questions before we, we kind of pivot too far away from what you were covering. So Hussein, why don't you take a minute, a minute to introduce yourself? I gave all the disclaimers. We do have some people in the room uh, I, I see the little red balloon. I think that's anniversary, happy anniversary encrypted. And we got some party hats. So welcome to Clubhouse. That usually indicates you've just joined Clubhouse within the past week or so. So welcome to Clubhouse. Uh, but Hussein, over to you. Hey, good evening. Uh, nice to meet you, Evan, as well. Uh, uh, fascinating story. My name is Hussein. I'm the CISO here at Robert Wood Johnson in New Jersey. I'm quite impressed by your perseverance. Uh, I'll own up. You know, I tried to start a couple of things in my in the late 90s, early 2000s, and when they didn't pan out, I kind of gave up back and went back to working, but quite impressed by your perseverance and going at it and, you know, winning it. Uh, congratulations to that. Uh, back to you, Tomas. Thanks, Jose. So RPI, you, 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 dropped, you flunked out, I guess, or whatever, but you went back you started, you said you started your first, the first company that, and you failed. And I, I just want to hear about that one, right? A, a, just a little bit more on that one. I know you said you, you, you failed at, at your first company, but can you, can you just dig in there a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Hussein, great, great, great to meet you. Um, yeah. And like calling it a company is maybe a bit of a stretch, right? Which speaks to maybe the quality of that business. Um, but ba basically, um, you know, Honestly, at the time, you know, I was I was in my kind of you know mid twenties and had no idea. Like you know, I knew I wanted to do a startup, but I was just very naive about you know. I didn't even I didn't even think of a startup as a business. I was just like, hey, we're gonna go create this like awesome you know product, and people are gonna use it, and then we'll figure it out. And so um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like you know, one of my kind of personal hobbies, right, and kind of passions growing up was video games. And so at the time, right, and this was kind of before Facebook took off, but um, we basically created kind of like a Facebook for people to play video games. And um, it was actually extremely popular, right, grew very quickly. We had probably 100,000 users in the first six months. And um, and just we never, like, we, we just did something we thought was, you know, because all the advice I think, or a lot of the advice I think entrepreneurs get is, hey, do something you're passionate about, do something that, like, you know, people will be interested in. And we kind of, like, 
we did that. We're like, hey, there's something we're passionate about. Um, we had lots of people use it. We got lots of feedback. You know, you look at our graph of users, graph of page, which is up and to the right. And we're like, we're doing all the things you're supposed to do. Um, but we never really thought about um, it is a business, right? We never thought about how are we going to make money? We never paid it, you know, literally didn't even, you know, never paid ourselves, right? Um, we just, you know, we paid our server bills and we tried to keep building stuff to listen to the kind of that community. And um, it was kind of, it was, it was a it was a bit eye-opening, right? Because it's one of these things where, hey, we're, do, we're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, right? We got a great product, right? This is the, at the, the time, it was like, this is the MySpace story, right? Get everyone using it and then we'll figure it out. We never really thought through like, okay, how does how do we turn this like idea into a business? And I think um, you know it was kind of it was like it was almost a bit of a a collapse of my mental model. We had to like shut it down. It's like we were shutting down this thing because we can't pay for the server, but it's so popular. Like, what do I not understand? And you know, frankly, it didn't click with me at the time. But um, I think I think one of my big lessons from that was you know, really thinking, you know, if you want to start a, a business, right, you have to think about what is the business, right? What's the value you're creating and who are your, um, you know, who are your customers? And so both kind of like being a, you know, a publisher on that side, and then all my other kind of startups and jobs is basically like in, in advertising. That's kind of one of the things that I think is really challenging about some of these ads businesses. You know, I used to run the ads team at Twitter and there's this really, um, and so I'm going to go off, off top a little bit, Tomas, but I want to kind of go back to something you said about, you know, ultimately kind of being clear about who your customers are and trying to contribute to your customers. Like at Twitter, there was a really, there's a challenge that I always had. My job was to like help Twitter make money. And there'd always be this question that I would kind of bring to, you know, Jack and the CFO and the executive team. How many ads do you want to show on Twitter? If we show fewer ads, that's actually really good for all of our users because they'll spend more time learning about the world and communicating and we're going to make less money. It's bad for advertisers. We show more ads, we make more money, and our advertisers are more successful, but users get annoyed. And that's a, you know, that part of that business that um, is really challenging is like, there's not an obvious answer, right? You're actually trading off between different types of stakeholders and customers. And one of the things I, I really love about, you know, working in cybersecurity now, and part of the reasons that, you know, we are a very, you know, customer-centric, customer-obsessed company, it's literally one of our core values, is because it's a business where, you're totally aligned with your customers. You're working together with your direct customer, maybe the your different channel partners, and you're all fighting the same fight. We're trying to go stop crime together. If we do that, you know, we win, our customers win, right? When they give us feedback about how we can better support them, we go do that. Like that's good for them, it's good for us, it's good for the whole community. So that's kind of one of the things that um, I just really appreciate about you know the the world that you know both of us work in today. Actually, all three of us work in today. Um, that we're really you know we're on kind of we're on different, you know, we're playing different roles. We're all kind of, you know, fighting on the same team against crime. No, that's, that's, that's great. That's great. Um, I'm going to ask you, there's a question in the, in the chat that I want to ask you. And it was around, you know, you were talking around about your mentor and how he's still your mentor today. Uh, the, the, uh, was it Wiz you mentioned? Um, I can't remember the name. Exactly. His name is uh, Wade, Wade, Wade Chambers. Wade. Wait, yeah. So you mentioned that Wade gave you this this piece of advice, and that he's a mentor of yours. So how, you know, the question in the chat is, how was your mentor able to get through to you, to get you to seek guidance and learn from others? Doing so can feel vulnerable at times, especially if you're not, especially if it's not your prior approach. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I was, you know, younger Evan was probably like 
pretty off the charts on an ego perspective and hopefully I've fully rotated the other direction, but I was probably a hard person to break through, right? So some of this is, you know, a lot of this comes down to, I think his just skill as a, a leader and a mentor. Um, but I think that the thing, I think the reason why he, you know, he's still a, a phenomenal mentor to, to me today. And I, I've stayed in touch with him really closely ever since. Um, but I think that the thing for him is like, uh, and, and he's, he's a, um, he's a technology executive, you know, he's worked at, um, you know, he's just been in the Valley for a long time. He was Ben Horwitz's VP of engineering at Opsware. So he's, he's an experienced manager and executive. And I think his like, his like superpower is that he actually cares about his team and the people around him. And, you know, he's also someone that is not a, um, you know, he's not a bullshitter, right? He'll tell you exactly what he thinks. And he's very thoughtful. Um, and I think the, the reason he's able to really, um, break through to people, especially, you know, egotistical young entrepreneurs like I used to be, is that behind what he's saying is he'll t he'll say the hard truths, right? And he'll kind of call it like he sees it, but you know where it's, it's coming from a place of love, right? Where he, he actually cares about, you know, you as an individual being successful. Um, and when you have someone give you some like hard truths or kind of like show you, you know, give you critical feedback, if you, if you have the underlying trust, you know, like, Hey, this person is doing this because they're trying to actually help me versus push their agenda. If I give us that underlying layer of trust, it makes it really easier for those messages to get through and for people to feel, you know, for people to kind of really hear you, right? They're not looking, for, you know, with Wade, I never, I, I never felt like he was trying to push an agenda or he cared about anything else than other trying to help me be successful. And so I just knew when he, when he kind of said that to me at the time, right? And to be fair, like it took like, you know, a couple of days to actually process, right? Before, you know, um, but I just knew that it was coming from a place of, um, you know, good intentions where he's really trying to be helpful and he's just a wise guy. So I think that underlying layer of kind of trust that, you know, this is someone that is, you know, cares about you as a person that is, um, yeah, I think that's what all great coaches do to order to like create the space to give you the, the hard feedback sometimes. Like get out of the, get out of your own way, you know? don't let your ego sort of uh, uh drive you and and get out of your own way and, and and take a moment to reflect on on yourself and i guess it's really hard to do right when you're when you're young you're motivated and you you you're out there wanting to conquer the world right we tell we tell the youth you know the world is your oyster and, and mindset and you know it is it is it does take a bit to for you to you know take a step back and really reflect on on some of that feedback so uh, that's i, I agree i think also when you have like small amounts of success it's, it's very easy to let let your ego kind of sneak up on you right and so you know you graduate college you get a good job you teach things yourself you can kind of slowly you can slowly start thinking like you know you you know a lot more than other people right and um that was definitely one of the, I feel like one of my biggest mistakes of my youth, right? My career, I spent 10 years thinking I kind of knew how to do things, right? Rather than, and when you do, when you have that mindset, right? It really prevents you from seeking out mentorship and learning. It can really, you know, flatline you, right? In your, in your career. So, I mean, if you, I think the book, the Evan, you know, the Evan Riser pre-Wade was a, you know, if you look at my learning trajectory, it was pretty flat. And I think, you know, after him and, um, you know, after I saw some of the, you know, just initial personal growth from trying to listen and learn and just, you know, really be humble and open-minded, right? I, I've really tried to, you know, 
overcompensate for that. And uh, hopefully, if if you ask people on my team, they would they would describe me as a, you know, um, you know, humble and like a student. I'm always trying to learn and always trying to up my game. Oh, that's great, uh, Katie. Thanks for joining us, Katie. I know you're just settling into the conversation, but why don't you introduce yourself, and then uh, I'll go to Hussein and then come back to you, okay? Oh well, thank you, and I apologize for being late. I was actually really looking forward to this one. I'm a little bit of an email security nerd. I was one of the really early on employees at Agari, uh, so it was, you know when DMARC was coming into the market, was you know, and, and then really learned. Um, the significance of you know email security and, and how it impacts business. So I was like, oh, abnormal security. Some of my favorite people work there. Um, so excited to meet you. So I'm so sorry I'm late. I had a, a work obligation, but um, yeah. So I, I'm a, a, a VP of cybersecurity strategy for a, um, a small, um, well, sm- small-ish, I guess. Um, SI out of Chicago, um, but we partner with a number of, um, you know, companies like yours. And I really have always admired what you guys are doing, um, just even from the, uh, I, I might have missed, I, I did miss your backstory, so I'm sorry. And I actually got a note from somebody that said I was missing a really good one. So just so you know, um, but yeah, I just, I think that, you know, email is all about communication and the way that, um, you know, not only do people do business, but even in our personal lives. So um, really appreciate what you're doing. I, you know, take that uh, message to market every day. So I just, you know, again, just thank you for taking time with us today. And again, so sorry that I'm late. Well, thank you so much for uh, hosting me and I feel really privileged to get to chat with you guys. So we'll we'll come back to you, Katie. I know we'll let you get settled. Uh, Hussein, uh, over to you, my friend. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Uh, so, Evan, a quick question around uh, your leadership it, it, in your current role. So, the way you know abnormal, I've looked at it quite a bit. You know, your model and how it integrates into messaging and, and protects the uh, from social engineering. How do you foster innovation and keep the drive and momentum in your team going? Seems like you guys are innovating at a very faster pace and are growing and uh, you know are conquering. So. What is the mojo there? Can you talk about it so the people who are listening can kind of uh, take some lesson from that? Thank you. Um, I, I can share. I can share what works for us, but uh, you know your your mileage may may vary. Um, so I think like you know, in, in investors never believe me when I say this, but like I think really our our secret sauce as a company is our culture. And when I when I say culture, I really mean you know what are the behaviors that we value, right? How do we make decisions? And I think that um, what's been really effective for us is we try to be really clear about what are those core values and what behaviors are aligned to that. And then specifically, what are the things we do not value, right? And I think in every, you know, especially in a really, so we're a very high growth startup, right? We, our, our, our company has tripled in the last year, right? And tripled the year before. And so the challenge when you have a company like that is, I mean, every, any day, right? Today, two thirds of our company wasn't here a year ago. And so you have this kind of like, you're importing a lot of culture from different companies. And the way people do things, right, is way different in different organizations, right? And kind of what's considered valuable or not valuable. And this applies to, you know, every little task, right? You know, one very common trade-off, right, is speed versus quality, right? Where should you be on that spectrum? Some companies, right, you wanna be super fast, right? If if you're like a, uh, if you're creating a new social app, you wanna innovate and go really quickly, right? Just try lots of stuff out, doesn't matter if you screw up. 
if you're working in like brain surgery, you don't want to do that at all. You want to you want to never make a mistake. So I think everyone comes into an organization with different expectations. So I think it's very valuable to be real, you know, to get everyone on the same page and like, hey, here's how we want to make this decision when it comes to this trade-off. And you also want to kind of give people permission to like not worry about things. So, um, you know, we we have kind of, um, you know, so we really weave our kind of core values into how we work. I literally meet with every single person the first week to go through the why behind these core values. And they're very kind of customer and market driven. So we pick core values not based on what Evan thinks is cool, but what is actually valuable for our customers. Um, and so we try to explain the why behind that. And for us, there's kind of five, you know, five of these core values, and they're all kind of trade-offs. So the first one is, um, and maybe I'll go through all of them, but the, the first one that's relevant to, I think, your, your, your comments about kind of like the speed of innovation, um, our first core value is velocity. And velocity is, um, is kind of like the opposite of perfection. So what we, when we say we value velocity, what we really mean is we want to do the good thing now versus the perfect thing later on. That's really important in cybersecurity, right? It's important for our customers because if you think about the decisions that you know a software engineer might make, hey, do I ship this like pretty good feature out today that will help protect 95% of our customers against this new attack? Or should we wait two weeks down the road where we can protect 100% of our customers? Probably most of our customers say, hey, like get the thing out, right? Maybe it'll, maybe only 95% chance it helps us, but we have to kind of always be one step ahead of the attackers because the attackers are getting smarter every single day. So we, we say that when it comes to these trade-offs, right, whether it's in sales or marketing or software development, we always want to try to like the, the good thing now versus the perfect thing later on. Better for us to like, um, and, and that we want to be kind of really clear about you know, that being kind of what we want to optimize for and kind of where that applies and where it doesn't, right? Because it doesn't apply to everything. Like for data, our own internal data security and our customers' data privacy, like obviously like mistakes are not acceptable. So you, you need to like kind of clarify where this applies, applies and don't or where, where it doesn't. And I think the thing that we do that I think maybe other companies don't do is we try to be really clear about here's what we do not value. Here's, here's what we do not value, right? So I tell people, hey, we're not a company that values not making mistakes, that's not something we we do. Why? Because it's it's kind of the opposite of a culture of velocity. If we're trying to be a, a high velocity, you know, high, you know, we want to like have high velocity innovation, high velocity kind of um, you know development. You you can't you can't tell people don't make mistakes because that's kind of the opposite. And so literally tell people like when they come in, hey, like what you guys are going to see here is that we're going to make a lot more mistakes. We're going to have a lot more bugs in our software. Right? You're going to see like a lot of the work we do will not always be representative of the finest work we're capable of doing because we're always trying to kind of go for the good thing now. And yes, we'll optimize and improve over time, but we're not gonna kind of wait long periods of time. So have we talked about kind of the other core values if you're curious, but I think we try to be really clear about what are those trade-offs and get everyone aligned on the same expectations. And these things, like these things seem very kind of silly, but it, they, it really applies in practical ways, right? I mean, if you're if you're someone at you know if you're someone at a company, right, and your boss sends you an email, hey, Evan, what's three things you learned today? What are you, how are you supposed to respond to that, right? Do you send three bullet take three minutes and write the three bullet points, or do you take three days and write a three page essay about your strategic assessment and how you're taking those lessons and applying them to your job? Like, who knows? So a lot of companies spend a lot of time with these kind of like un, you know just they waste a lot of time with these kind of unclear expectations about how they want people to act, and so. We tell people like, hey, in a culture of velocity, no one's expecting anything more than the three bullet points. If they want something more than that, they can go ask for that. But otherwise, we're always gonna default to the same thing. And no one should have the assumption that, you know, no one here at the company will ever get yelled at for making a mistake. 
they may get yelled at for not fixing that mistake quickly, right? So I think just clarifying like what is valuable to the company, getting everyone on the same page, and I think most importantly, explaining why this is value for the our, our customers and kind of why do we do this and why is this important like for us as a team. I think that helps just create a lot of clarity in kind of how we work and. Um, it, it also it ultimately kind of drives you know things that are valuable for customers if you pick the right core values. Oh, great, Evan! You made a lot of good points. I mean, that's the only way to learn, right? To make mistakes and learn from them and improve on, as opposed to be fearful of not making a mistake. Great answer, uh, Katie. Over to you. Yeah, and sorry, just oh, Katie, real okay. quick. I was just going to say, it, it, you know, one thing that I kind of take for granted because I've not worked at a startup before and and I and I like that you that you do this is so reinforcing or re having those conversations with your with your teams to be able to to instill you know the why get to the why and we've talked about you know so sort of uh, I forget the name of the book uh, by Simon Sinek around the why um, but we've talked about that in, in prior sessions, which is very important, right? And we've talked about another book called uh, Extreme Accountability, and there's a whole component in there around, you know, helping make sure people understand the why for the mission, right? So, you know, I, I think it's great that you're doing that, Evan. Um, and it's something that me, since I haven't worked in, startup, in startups, you know, I take that for granted, right? I've worked at other companies where you kind of go into their culture and you try to adapt and, yeah, you might want to try to, uh, make some strides to change certain aspects of the culture, but you're constantly reiterating, but re-emphasizing your culture almost on an annual basis because you guys are growing so fast, which, which is, that's a lot of work, Evan. That, that, that's right. And I think the important thing with culture is like, it all comes down to behavior, right? It doesn't matter what the CEO says in onboarding. That's not the culture. The culture is how do people actually act? And so um, I think it's really important for any leader to just recognize like, you know, it, you know, you can be a leader, whether you're the CEO or you're like any role in the company, right? You're influencing other people. So it's really important to recognize that like everything you do is like a role model for other people. And humans are very good at observing others and trying to like figure out what's the behavior, what are they trying to optimize for? And I'm going to go do more like that. So one thing that, you know, I, I do, because I, I really take kind of culture extremely seriously, and this may sound crazy to some of you guys. Um, I have a meeting every day with my staff at the end of the day, it's at 4.30 Pacific. And the whole purpose of this meeting is I go around the room and I say, hey guys, tell me today, what did you see on the team? Tell me some behaviors you saw from people where you felt people were doing a good job being a role model for Velocity or other four core values. And then we basically go around the room and I set, I write it down in an email, I share my screen, and I say, hey, I wanna give a shout out today to Nicole for doing, you know, for doing a great job with Velocity, right? Instead of kind of like wait until next quarter to go ship this new product feature, we figure out a way to kind of go do this and that's gonna allow us to get out to our customers, you know, tomorrow or something right and like I'll, I'll never know these examples right but i want to we, we collect them from the team so every day i kind of write this down in front of the entire executive staff and i send out that email to the entire company with shout outs for people at the company that have done a great job you know being role models um and i do that every single day i've done it for three years um because i want because you know culture comes from people seeing these examples of behavior and specifically calling out the trade-offs that they're making right another one of our core values intellectual honesty Right when someone says, "Hey, I know this is a really uncomfortable conversation, but like, you know, I got to give you the direct feedback. Like, you did this thing, and it was, you know, I know this is kind of awkward, but like, it really hurt us from doing this, and like, I want to kind of share that with you." Right? That's a really great thing. We want everyone to know at the company that we value intellectual honesty. This company, right? If you have critical feedback, don't you know, for the CEO, 
don't be worried about that, right? We want to do that. We want to learn that. So but I think by, by kind of very regularly kind of recognizing the behaviors that are kind of consistent with the core, val the core values, that's a way to kind of, you know, for every leader in the organization, right, at any level, to really kind of reinforce what, what matters and give people very tangible examples of those trade-offs people are making, right? And that's a really powerful tool to kind of get everyone aligned on, you know, the, the culture and the values that are important for, you know, the company and the customers. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we have Lisa Beth who just joined us. Lisa Beth, we'll, we'll let you get settled. Uh, Katie, I'm sorry I cut you off, but over to you. Oh, no, you didn't cut me off at all. And sorry, I was a, I had just gotten into my car. I was driving through the city and I live in the suburbs, so I was a little distracted earlier. Um, that was for anyone who lives in the city to laugh at me, um, by the way. You can laugh out loud, unmute if you want. Um, but anyway, uh, Evan, honestly, the, the velocity piece for me is really interesting. Um, you know, having come out of the startup culture myself, um, and then now on, on this side where I'm integrating and then also serving as a CISO, as a VCSO for, you know, a few companies. Um, I really love that. You know, in the partnerships that I find um, in the industry right now, it's, it's so difficult to find partners who are, are interested in moving fast and, and doing the best. You know, maybe it's not perfect, but that is something that I've definitely, when I'm interacting with my partnerships every day, what I appreciate about what you just said is that you're willing to, you know, say, hey, this is the best that we have right now and have design partners. And I think that's what you're getting at. And I, I really liked it because um, that's the kind of, you know, uh, practitioner I am. And when I can find partners that are um, leaning in and, and looking for, or for people who are willing to accept something that's not perfect, but it's a, a, a lot better than what we had um, and, and really innovate together. Um, for me, that's really, you know, exceptional. And so, and I did miss your origin story and I'm sorry, but um, what I'd love to know is when you were founding um, Abnormal Security, and by the way, I knew who you were just because, again, I'm impressed with your company. I've, I've seen you and, and the people that work for you in the industry, and I've been very impressed by um, your, your company and, and your, your culture. So for me, it's really interesting to, to get to the kind of bottom of it. So when you were founding this company, um, how did you do that? Did you actually write that down? Did that come out earlier? I'm sorry if it, um, it's redundant, but I really appreciate how that's such a core value and how that's, I've seen it without having met you until today. I have seen it in the industry. So what was that like and how do you do that? Because I would love to um, see, you know, my other partners replicate that and maybe someday if I have a great idea to do that myself. And Katie, just to make sure I'm answering our question, is the it was your question more about how do we kind of how do we build the culture from the yeah, beginning, where'd it or come how from? do we even like yeah, yeah, yeah. start with that? Yeah, that's that's really my point. Sorry, I'm I'm not a good driver ever, so if I'm talking and driving, uh, it's really bad. Um, but yeah, so what I was saying is, you know, having observed you from the outside, and then um, now meeting you today, and hearing that you have this um, real core values that I've seen in the industry, which by the way never happens. How often do you work with a company and they say, well, these are our core values, but you don't see that exhibited, you know, throughout the organization. And I think that's, to, you know, to your, uh, to you, I, was, to, to, I'm, I admire it. That's why I was super excited about this uh, conversation tonight. So that's what I'm, I'm asking is, and I don't know if I missed it, but was there a moment when you were figuring out how you wanted your company to grow and here you are, you know, you know three fourths larger than you were a couple of years ago, 
what did, was that conversation? I want to understand what did that look like? Was that something that you got from mentors? Was that something that you got from your childhood? I don't know. Like, just let me know, like, where did that come from? Because I think it's really, really interesting. And I, I'd love to see that in more of the partnerships that I have every day. Well, uh, I'm going to answer this in probably too long of a way, but there's kind of two pieces. One was like, there was a light bulb moment where I realized kind of how important culture was. And then there was, how do we decide what the right culture for abnormal is? So on the first one, right, I, I, I never really, I always knew like a lot of companies talked about culture and I kind of like laughed it off and I kind of rolled my eyes. And I'm like, oh, it just sounds like a, you know, kind of like some HR thing that just is meaningless. And the, the, the and when I first, you know, so when uh, Twitter bought, um, uh, our last company, um, you know, I came into Twitter and I was like, who are all these product folks that, you know, why is this product culture all screwed up? No one talks to customers. They don't move quickly. They can't make decisions. I'm like, oh, all, it must come from all these people at Twitter, right? All these people here are, you know, maybe bad in some way, right? In these dimensions. And then, you know, that was kind of day one at Twitter. Fast forward three years later on the day I left, right? I was the most senior product leader at Twitter, right? At least on, on the on the ad side. And all these new people, and like nothing had changed, right? And all these new people um, have, were coming and like, oh, these old people like Evan screwed up the Twitter culture, right? And it really kind of, it really, I guess the eye-opening moment was that like kind of these, you know, you know, company culture and the culture of any community really persists and outlasts any of the individual people, right? And that was kind of this moment where I realized Kind of how powerful I think culture was for for any organization, and at you know at, at Twitter right even their core you know, they had these two core. I'll just give you an example of kind of like why, and they just give some insight about why why Twitter has some of the challenges it has. But you know one of the core values of Twitter is ship it, right? That's pretty clear, right? Like hey, we're going to get stuff out there, we're going to move quickly. Another core value is take time to get it right. That kind of makes sense by itself, right? Hey, we're going to really kind of go slow, and make sure everything we do is correct. So if you wonder like, why does Twitter not maybe develop as fast as most people think, it's because it's not because one of those is the right answer or wrong answer, but like half the time people are debating, right? Hey, I thought we should move quick. I thought we should take time to get it right, right? So we have kind of conflict, right, in those core values or those values aren't aligned with kind of what's important for your customers, right? Then you, then you create a lot of unnecessary confusion, ambiguity, and ultimately a lack of productivity inside a company. So I think it was really my experience at Twitter that kind of, helped me realize how important the culture was. And then when we started the company um, and kind of why we, how we got into email security is a, is a different story, especially because I'd, I'd never worked in cybersecurity. I was a total amateur, total noob. Um, but when we started the company, I knew that like we had to, we had to pick core values and we had to kind of like inspire behaviors inside the company that were things that were good for our customers. I think it's good to recognize that like you know, there is no kind of copy paste culture, right? You really have to think about like, what is important? What are the behaviors you want to inspire and activate, right? In kind of your market. So going just on the theme of velocity, it makes a lot of sense, right? In cybersecurity, right? The, uh, you know, the, the challenges are, there's a new attack, there's no email attack every single day, right? So of course it can be valuable as a company, right? And what your customers want is for you to move quickly and innovate quickly and learn quickly so you can kind of get ahead of the new thing before it becomes a bigger problem. There's some other company, right? It's the, five of us on stage or we want to go start a brain surgery company we wouldn't want to have velocity as a core value we want to have take time to get it right we got to make sure every brain that comes through our surgery center is flawless right we never make any mistakes right and you would yell at people if they made a mistake right we're in a high velocity culture right you can't right the minute you yell at people you're signaling to the entire company 
we're not really about culture, right? Or we're not really about velocity. We say that, but we don't really mean that. That's why we're getting, that's why we want to, you know, that's why we're kind of reacting this way. So I think that when we, we kind of built our, our kind of, you know, our five core values at, at um, Abnormal, it was really all about, you know, what is going to be effective behavior in the long run, right? That we want to kind of last for a decade that's going to be most valuable for this type of company in this environment serving, you know, cybersecurity customers. And for us, that was, you know, velocity. We want to innovate quickly because the attacks are always changing. We have a really high kind of ownership, even if that means more delegation, inexperienced people making decisions because we knew we we're going to grow quickly. We need to train the next generation of leaders. Our third one was intellectual honesty because we knew that cybersecurity is kind of riddled with a lot of misleading claims and a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of, you know, scammy stuff. We knew that we were in a business of relationships and trust. So if we didn't have a culture, you know, built on being open-minded and direct and humble, right? Even if it meant we were being kind of awkward and kind of socially, you know, breaking social cohesion, right? That would be a problem for us long-term. You know, we, 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 you know, our fourth value is customer obsession. We always want to make sure that we're listening and learning and kind of working backwards from our customer problems. That was really important because we, you know, we're trying to build a new type of technology to solve customer problems in an area that like I personally don't know, you know, didn't know anything about at the time, right? So we always want to make sure we're working backwards from our customers' problems versus forward from our ideas. And then our final one was um, ambition ambition for excellence, right? We knew that, you know, we're in a market where the problems are changing every single day. The attackers are getting 1% smarter. That means that we have to get 1% better in everything we do every single day, right? Ourselves, our systems, our process, our technology. Even if that means, right, it's going to be overwhelming and discouraging to feel like nothing's ever good enough. That, that's a trade-off we want to make as a company. So we really kind of work backwards from what we thought the customers in the market needs to really define the culture. And then the culture then defines like how do we make decisions, how do we work, how do we behave, and um, you know, ultimately how we show up in the world. Love it. That's why I show up to this fireside chat every single Wednesday. Yeah, thank you for that. And and by the way, you said it was going to be a long answer. It was exactly what I was asking. So thank you for hearing me and answering my question and appreciate that so much. Um, Lisa, Beth, have, have you settled in? Are you able to unmute and get... And oh, I'm settled and I am just sitting and reveling in this discussion. The uh, compliance and ethics and integrity part of me is singing happy songs right now. Um, so <laughs> nice to meet you, Evan. Um, my name is Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Um, quick background. I uh, am a compliance ethics and corporate governance um, consultant. I have a firm called Lumen Worldwide Endeavors. And everything that you're telling me um, resonates. And I especially liked, I wish more companies would sit down at the end of each day and think about who has lived out the values of this organization and how are we going to recognize that? So let me ask you, um, in terms of um, recognition, how beyond, you know, calling things out in these daily meetings, how are you building towards the future in terms of sustaining culture um, particularly as you bring in more and more people, um, how do you scale that um, continually in your organization? Because you're doing some really cool things. And I'd love to hear more about your thought patterns behind um, keeping people engaged in um, building the culture that you want to see by, by being the person you, you want to be. 
Yeah, to, to, Lisa, it's great to meet you, and that's, that's a really thoughtful question. Hopefully, I can. You know, I'll try to give an equally thoughtful answer, but forgive me if I if it's a little bit inarticulate. Um, I mean, I think that the first thing is you just have to acknowledge as a company that like you have to decide how much does culture really matter to us, how much do these core values do, and my kind of personal belief founding the company was that this is why we're going to win in the long term. And so we said from the beginning that you know we are going to take these core values very seriously, and we're not going to compromise. Um, those the, that kind of culture for any other business objective, right? And I was super clear with our board of directors, all of our investors of that for, since day one. And we basically kind of built into our you know hiring process, you know actually our, our hiring process, our promotion process, and our performance management process slash firing process. You know, kind of um, everything is kind of built around the core values. So we literally interview everyone right that that applies to the company across these core values, and we're trying to answer the question. Are they not going to reduce kind of the average in any of these core values? And can they up our game in one, right? And if that's not true, we don't hire someone, even if they're really talented, really capable, because we really want to, you know, we're not going to accept people that, you know, can't commit to those values. doesn't mean they have proven themselves, but they have to be willing to kind of, you know, commit, you know, commit to that. Um, so I think one is just like, you got to take it seriously, right? You have to be willing to fire your number one salesperson right? If they don't have behaviors that are in line with your culture, right? And so, and that's like a really hard decision, right? To make as a company, right? To re if you really want to commit to that. So then in terms of like the recognition, right? Um, I, I think you're bringing up a good point. It's really hard to scale, right? When we were 10 people, that was very effective for me to go talk to my staff with basically the entire company and then share that with everyone. But, it's, but you know, now there's like lots of people at the company. I don't talk to most people every day. And so I think you have to kind of do it both in like a tops down way and a bottoms up way. I think the tops down is important because you need everyone to understand that it actually matters. And that's why, you know, I spend, you know, three hours every week, 90 minutes for our kind of, you know, new hires in the U.S. and 90 minutes for our hires in um, kind of uh, APAC region. And I go through, here's why these are the values. And I, and I do that personally. I don't do a video recording because I really want people to know that, like, I care about this. That's why I'm blocking off my time to see you to, like, meet people and tell them the why behind this. Um and then, you know, we do our kind of weekly town hall. I usually have three kind of guests. You know, people submit their kind of recommendations. And I, I give them kind of one minute each to a peer shout out for someone they recognize across the company um, as being, um, you know, kind of exemplifying our core values. And then I give them basically a $25 gift card. It's kind of just a token thing. But we just want to say, hey, this stuff actually matters. We want to put our money where our mouth is. It's important for me to host that and to do that in town hall in front of the entire company, because I, I want to signal to the entire audience, this stuff actually matters, right? Evan's spending half his time every week in front of the company talking about this because he really cares about culture. So that's good to establish the importance, right? But the challenge is, I just don't have visibility, right? I'm not gonna recognize, I'll not be able to see all the good work, and I can inadvertently kind of encourage people to like, you know, show off in maybe political ways because they want to get recognized, right? There's lots of amazing things that happen in our company behind the scenes, right, out of the spotlight they'll never know about. So in the second half of the recognition, right, there's, there has to be a bottoms-up piece. And so um, there's basically a, um, you know, um, I, I won't say the product name, but like there's a there's some software we use, right, that's basically a recognition platform. And the way we have it set up is anyone can go, um, it's kind of integrating into Slack, and basically anyone can kind of go recognize one of their coworkers for kind of exemplifying one of these core values. Um, and when they do that, right, they basically kind of just, you know, there's a pretty simple format. What's the value? What do they do? Why is this a great example of our of our core value, right? And anyone across the company that does that, right, that will, they, they basically recognize someone. It appears kind of in this like big global shout out Slack channel, the people get pinged. 
then um, then we have it set up so that person then gets a um, you know I think a, a twenty dollar gift card, right? Which they can either donate to charity or they can use it to buy company swag or they can um, you know take it as a gift card. And so that allows kind of anyone at the company to kind of celebrate and recognize you know people that are helping us you know go build our culture and kind of raise the bar. And we, you know, we, 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 you know, it's not like a huge amount of money, but we spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on this, right, in gift cards, because, you know, it's really important to the company. It's a good investment. And so um, not that people do this for the money or not, they don't give the shout outs for the money, but um, I think it's important for the company to just signal, hey, this stuff matters. It's not just like a fun thing we're doing, but like, it's actually valuable for us to, um, you know, it's valuable for the company, it's valuable for our customers, it's valuable for our mission to go fight crime. So I think that, recognition has to come in kind of those, you know, those two different angles. And there's, there's probably new things that we got to be doing, right. As we go from, you know, 400 people to a thousand people later this year. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love the tone at the top that you're demonstrating um, in the chat. People are talking about how, you know, they worked for you and you were one of the most influential leaders that they've ever had. So um, I love hearing what you're doing. I wish more organizations um, uh, led by example and and role modeled in this way. So I'm, I'm going to uh, just sit back in awe a little bit um, and I'll turn it back over to Tomas um, for the room reset and, um, and, and questions. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks for, thanks for that, uh, that handoff and, uh, and great question. And, and Evan, you are getting, you, you, you are getting uh, pretty popular. Now I got to go to an admin if I want to get a hold of you. You know, I, I remember the days of just being able to like reach out and, and, and call you. Uh, but you know, that's what happens when you, when your company grows. So I, I, I appreciate that. And it's great to see all the success that you guys are having at Abnormal. So this is our weekly fire, fireside chat. We're going to go for about 30 more minutes or so, because I want to be respectful of Evan's time and of everybody else's time. If you do have a question and you want to pop up on stage, feel free to raise your hand and we will bring you up on stage. Um, there are some questions in the chat. Uh, I, I will say, if you can just pop up on stage and ask your question, we'll, we'll get we'll get to all of you. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to all of you. And I do want to spend some time talking about, you know, Evan. It, it'd be uh, almost selfish of me, not, well, not selfish. It would be, it would be uh, bad of me not to maybe spend some time talking about, you know, what you guys are seeing, trends and things like that around uh, business email compromise and and uh, sort of just general email account takeovers and, and the likes and. And you know what your your viewpoints are for you know where we're going with with regards to that space, but also just thinking even more forward into like the you know the concept of whatever the metaverse is, and how the the, the abilities that hackers are having now to uh, enact phishing and other types of scams to other different types of channels which don't necessarily originate in email and just really want to get your thoughts on that and, and, and how you guys are thinking about that. So you can leave that for later. Let's get to maybe some of the uh, folks that did pop up on stage. Thanks, Mods, for bringing them up. So Ryan, I'll pass it over to you. Uh, anything you want to ask Evan? Absolutely. Um, hi, Evan. I'm Ryan Rosado. Um, nice to meet you. I've been doing cybersecurity for about 10 years. And uh, this is one of my highlights of my week is to be able to come on here and you have definitely added and, and provided a really interesting story. So um, one of the questions I'm going to do a two for one super easy. I think it is. I'm just dying to know if you're still in the video games and if so, like 
you know, Xbox, PlayStation, what's your, what's your thing? You know, you said that basically your whole path, right, was you were this kid who wanted to play video games. So you got into entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial, you know, opportunities, including a lemonade stand, right, for anyone who missed it. And, and, and everything was around that. So I'm just curious, right? Fun, fun little fact. Um, there's no employees listening, right? No, okay. Um, no, I, I do. Um, I do. I do play video games, and I, I'm like an extremely competitive person. And so, like, I have to be a little bit careful because I get like, you know, I have to win every. I like. I like to win everything I do. Um, but my my favorite type of video, I, I play games on a PC, and um, I like. This sounds really nerdy, but like any game that requires like spreadsheets or like tools you need to like optimize to like to like be really be really good at the game is my kind of thing. So like, I like. I like the uh, I like the I'm I'm an optimizer, so I like any game that requires a lot of optimization to to win. Interesting. Yeah, I'm actually not into video games at all, but I just thought that that was such a pivotal piece of your story that I was like, but does he still play video games? So very cool. Glad to see that all of your hard work and your career has paid off for kind of your childhood dream there. Um, but another question I really thought about when you were kind of answering Katie, and I think a few questions here about culture. And how you spend 90 minutes both with like, you know, you mentioned APAP region and the growth of abnormal. I was just curious, right? And, and again, two part kind of like, you know, it sounds like you had this amazing opportunity because it was a startup to really say foundationally, what do I want the culture to be? What should it be for this type of company? And then how did you, you know, maintain that foundation, but also allow it to grow either as you expanded, obviously geographically, including like, like you said, APAC and or with the size, right? Because I think that a lot of companies, whether, you know, something happens, like, for example, the pandemic, I think shifted, you know, how, how did companies either shift or, um, you know, kind of maintain a certain culture in a remote environment if they didn't have it before? And, um, you know, with differences in whether like actual technology or just, you know, people, again, and cultural differences, just would love to hear since you seem so obviously so like i don't want to say concerned i don't think that's the right word but obviously so passionate about culture um how how do you maintain that well i'm still learning figuring it out so if you guys have tips you know let me know and i'll try to go apply them um, absolutely yeah and not you know not to be um you know, not to be too redundant or not to be like i don't mean to repeat myself too much but like i think it just comes down to like you have to have well, I think it's good to separate out, like, you know, culture means a lot of things. Um, uh, really, like, I guess there's the, the core values, which are kind of the valuable behaviors that are good for your customers and the company and the market. Those things we're, like, really inflexible on, right? We we don't want those to adapt and evolve, right? Now, of course, that's, 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 a, that's maybe the center of the company culture, but a lot of the kind of company culture, you know, kind of outside of those dimensions, right, is organic, right? We have... You know, we have people in, I think, you know, 10 different countries, right? It's a, it's a very you know, diverse company, different backgrounds, right? And experience and all sorts of things. And everyone kind of brings in, you know, everyone brings in their own expertise and kind of best practices and traditions and rituals. And I think those can be, you know, just more diversity and kind of like that culture importing is actually really good because there's, you know, every company in the world, right? Even if they're not successful, does have pieces in it that are, are valuable, right? And there's good lessons to learn. So I think you want to be, you know, flexible and kind of allowing that to kind of organically evolve, but you want to be like really inflexible on your, on your core values. And those need to be, you know, more dogmatic in nature. Um, and I think the way you, 
at least so far what's worked for us, right? I can't tell you, we, you know, we may not be successful here in the future, but at least what's worked well so far is just, you know, telling people that this is stuff we take seriously. You know, every leader of the company, they need to like be a role model there. If you start promoting someone that's not customer obsessed, right? That's one of your core values. What are you really saying to the company, right? So everyone has to be a role model. And you need to kind of constantly give people examples of like what those behaviors are and just any big company or any company that's growing very quickly, you're importing a lot more culture than you export. And so it's, it's something you have to be really mindful of. And you know, just these, you know, some of the touch points I mentioned have been successful so far. And I'm sure as we, you know, as, as we grow more of the next year, it's going to be increasingly challenge, challenging. We'll have to think about, you know, how do we kind of keep optimizing? But I think a lot of culture just comes down to like, what are the behaviors, right, of people in the organization? And the beautiful part about culture is if you kind of set it up right, it becomes self-propagating, right? You know, people come in, they start doing things a certain way. They start being a little more customer focused, a little more have higher standards, higher ambitions. Other people see that, right? Then they start doing it and more people see it and they start doing it. So the, the challenge of culture is it kind of, it kind of ends up being what it ends up being, right? It's very hard to go change that once it is. So um, I think on the core values, you got to be really dogmatic and kind of continually kind of reinforce that. Anytime me or any other leader, any person is showing up in a meeting or a room or they're sending an email, those are opportunities for us to kind of reinforce those core values. And I think the best leaders of our company are like really trying to weave in these concepts into everything we do. So I don't know what the kind of the next generation this looks like. I'm still learning myself, um, but that's at least what's worked well for us so far. I love that. And I could totally go on. I won't, but I will say um, one of the moderators who's normally here isn't, um, but we, him and I, as well as someone else have a, uh, it's, it's Russell Eubanks. He has another clubhouse and um, love to invite you if you're interested. And we've been talking a lot about culture and cybersecurity and um, yeah, that, and I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I don't have your email. Don't know if anyone else has had that problem, not asking for it, but just letting you know. Um, and on that note, thanks again. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, I'll pass it on. So thanks, Tomas. And thanks, Evan. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for uh, popping up on stage. And uh, nothing like asking an email security guy, what's your email? Uh, <laughs> that's probably a, a good one. But um, no, you, I'm sure if you uh, connect with Evan on LinkedIn, he'll be happy to connect with you. And you guys can, uh, can carry on the conversation uh, along those lines. Um, Jennifer, thanks for popping up. Anything you want to ask, uh, Evan? Yeah, thanks, Tomas. I, hey, Evan, nice to meet you. The story's been amazing. Um, where in the Bay Area did you grow up? That's just a, a teaser question, but I'm asking. I, I grew up in the North Bay in Marin, and then I live in New York for a decade, and I live in San Francisco for a decade, and I now live in the East Bay. Oh, too funny. Okay, I grew up in Berkeley, and I live in Marin. But um, and I, the examples you were giving on culture and why that matters, it just it was bringing the, the, some examples to my mind, and one was a sort of a startup, but kind of a mid-sized company acting like a startup. And it was important that we were, we had different goals necessarily. I was in legal and I've got to help, you know, commercial get their deals over the line and product team come to me when they're having issues and not build a product that's going to have, you know, licensing restrictions downstream or something. So we, the, this whole culture aspect of, of defining it so that we do know what matters and we're, you know, we, we worked our asses off. Um, but we, because we were aligned in the culture, we had parameters of what we were doing where we were, you know, it really reduced the friction and, and going head to head. And it's funny because I did just look you up on um, LinkedIn and Jay Simons Simmons, who you know, was uh, one of our head guys there. So it was funny that you have that connection. But um, I wanted to figure out, find out, ask, and how you 
how you were able on this kind of tailors on Ryan's last comment. So I apologize if you've already answered it, but um, how you were able to identify this sort of culture. And I think using the word culture is, um, I mean, it's, it, it is the descriptor for it, but it also can give it that sort of fluffy term that I, like you said, a lot of investors and others would tend to off, right. But it, it really is core to the, um, success of the organization because it, it gives those guardrails of, of understanding like if you want velocity but not sloppy like you've got to come from customer first or as you're saying you give recognition but as you get bigger you can't see everyone and giving um, people the opportunity to recognize each other not only gives the the receiver of that recognition but it gives the organization the understanding that you see you can't see everybody and so it's not just something that's you know awarded from above it's it's that you really are a a cohesive organization working together towards these things. So these are just like different examples you're giving of something that's really um, important to a successful organization. I was wondering how you um, sort of identified all of these different ways to implement this and stick to it, like the, the actual day-to-day -day practices or week-to-week -week practices. Yeah, I think like, you know, what those kind of core values are and what the trade-offs, right? Like those are things we kind of identified really early on by just learning about um, you know, our cybersecurity customers. And there's many people I, I, I literally asked, like, you know, some of our early CISOs we talked to, like, hey, what do, like, what do companies do that's, like, really dumb they shouldn't do, right? Like, what are some of the behaviors you see that really drive you crazy? Um, and, you know, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure some of the folks on here know, but, like, one thing that really drives cybersecurity customers crazy is, like, the lack of precision and clarity and, like, what do you do and why is it really different, right? And they felt, you know, a lot of people feel like, there's a whole generation of, you know, mediocre cybersecurity companies that kind of like, you know, misled or exaggerated or kind of, you know, made promises they couldn't really keep. And so we saw that as a way for us to actually stand out in the market. And so, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, Tomas, and you get a thousand emails a month from cybersecurity vendors, like, you know, how do really, we have to go stand out from the noise, right? Especially as a company, right, that no one's ever heard of with a CEO that's never worked on cybersecurity before. It's really important for us to go kind of stand out in the market. And so we knew that, you know, we just looked at kind of what our customers were looking for in like a world-class company. We tried to kind of work backwards into that. And I think once you kind of like start identifying the themes, then you can start doing the pattern recognition on, on some of the behaviors, right? And, you know, you know, we have some, you know, giant wiki page where we talk about, hey, here's what we value, here's what we don't value. And you kind of like extend those things out, extend those things out over time. Um, and you kind of start recognizing some of the downsides. When you see those, you want to be really clear that that's an acceptable downside, right? For us, we're a very customer-obsessed company. That means when we build our product roadmap, that's driven by customers. It's not coming from, it's not my ideas, it's not our product manager ideas, we're just the editors. And when people see that, right, especially new people say, hey, this is really stupid. We have all these great ideas, right? We should go, you know, we should, you know, we should go do our ideas. And then that that's an opportunity for, for I think, you know, someone as a leader, right? Or, you know, me or someone else to say, hey, that is, um, you're right, right? that's one of the trade-offs we're making, right? By us being very biased toward awaiting kind of our customers' feedback, we're gonna miss out on good ideas from inside the company. We're also gonna rotate too much on what's important now versus what's important in the future. And like, those are things we're accepting, right? As part of this culture of being customer obsessed. And so I think that when you kind of explicitly define, here's the trade-offs and here's the downsides, right? Here's the consequences of us saying we value these things. I think it gives people, you know, permission to, you know, not have to worry about those things, right? And that's, I think, when you explicitly name those things and you give people those, you know, superpowers, right? Um, 
you know, that's just kind of things I have to worry about. And that, that's what helps make you know, some of the culture more empowering. So sorry, sorry if I, you know, uh, if I missed kind of part of the question, you know, please, please, please let me know. I'm happy to share more. You know, I think that's great. And I, I think you're right that it's, it's just having been doing this stuff for a long time or working with deal teams for a long time. It's, it's um, a lot of people push what they, their ideas without listening to what customer feedback is. Right. And so you, it kind of goes back to your first um, company where you, uh, you know, ended up not having the revenue model to support the server stack, which is that, you know, you guys think it's a great idea, but it's not what the customers are paying for at that point or pulling a little bit, but it's um, a lot of companies do that. They push their solution versus what the customers need at that point. And then clear and concise, I'd say um, very few companies have that, especially larger ones and both externally and internally. So nice job, impressive. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for popping up on stage and asking your question. David, over to you. Hey, thanks, Tomas, and a good evening to all the mods. And Evan, ooh, so happy to hear and see uh, another C CEO for the startup company. Well, you're not that startup anymore, but uh, have been doing great. I absolutely think your statement about uh, customer obsessed is correct. I mean, if you're not, well, it doesn't make really a lot of sense that you'll be in business long because you're not focused on it. My question to you directly is that Earlier on, you spoke about the fact that your mentor, you really spoke glowingly about your mentor, about how he sort of, and I'll paraphrase, sort of cloaked you in his philosophical approach to how to become successful. And then later on, you mentioned that um, the company culture, you know, if the CEO is not doing it, it doesn't matter, it comes. So two-part question here is that, um, did your mentors uh, engagement with you permeate you in such a way that you took that and you now mentor to your staff and coach your staff and do you mentor a coach period and two is not the culture or the standard I'm sure there's some Ryan speaks or crowd speaks at your company like every company but does it not emanate from you to the rest of the team and so they you know you're leading by example and they're following by uh, by, by proxy if you will so those are my two questions, Evan. Yeah, maybe I'll do the second one first. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. Like you know, any you know, everyone in the company, right? You know, whether you're the CEO or anyone else, right? Like everything you do is kind of like role model behavior, and you know, t you know, typically, yeah, I mean, that's always the the case, right? People need to lead, you know, through their own behavior. I can preach all day about how important customers are and how we should be customer obsessed. If I'm showing up late to customer meetings. What's the signal that people are really seeing, right? So, you know, I think every every leader needs to kind of lead through through kind of their own, you know, behavior and role models, uh, or by, by being a role model. I would argue that that's good, but it's not. It, it can be insufficient. I think what sometimes is missing, right, is the, those behaviors are sometimes implicit signals. And I think it's really, if, you know, in, at least in my experience, it's been really effective for me to kind of turn the implicit into explicit and really kind of explain the why behind it. Like, hey guys, the reason I'm always on time to customer meetings is because I want to show you and show our customers or everyone else this company that we really value our customers' input and our time, right? And our job is to go help them solve their problems, right? So I think just, I mean, maybe it's a bad example, but I think that everyone should lead by example, but I think you can make that even more effective by explicitly explaining the why and explaining the intent behind it um, and kind of explicitly saying, here's what we value and here's what we don't value. I think that helps people, you know, kind of just understand the why behind the what. And then on the uh, mentorship side, like, I don't know if I could say I mentor my staff because frankly, 
my staff is a lot smarter and more accomplished than I am, right? And, um, you know, maybe my only hidden talent is uh, recruiting people. Um, and I do try to mentor there. Um, but you know, so I don't know how much mentorship I do for my team. We do have kind of a mentorship program right inside our company. We try to pair, you know, kind of pair people up to help, you know, with career coaching. And then personally, like, you know, my, my personal passion is um, mentoring entrepreneurs. Um, I like, you know, meeting, you know, especially people that are starting kind of new venture back companies. That's really where kind of my expertise um, are. And I just, you know, I, I just don't want, I just like, I've screwed up so many things in my life, right? That if I can help, you know, if I can help some other entrepreneur avoid some of those mistakes, then like I can feel less guilty about, you know, screwing up and wasting a bunch of time and money in my past. That's, that's absolutely great. And I, you know, it sounds like your mentor poured a lot of what he or she learned, or he learned into you so that you took all of a, a good portion of that and you apply it to your company and to your efforts. Because as you listen to you talk about your evolution and how you evolved, you know, there's a maturation process that you seem to have gone through. And me being, you know, of the people process technology of what we do, I spend a lot of my time on people because I think that part is just in some sense almost missing in a lot of larger companies and a lot of companies period, because we're focused on the technology, technology, technology. But if we don't have the people to follow the right process to implement the right technology, then we may be far afield in customer obsession at the end of the day. So thank you very much. And I'm really proud to, uh, to have heard, honored to have heard you speak tonight. And uh, this is David. I'm going to stop talking. Thanks, David. Thanks for popping up on stage. As always, good to uh, hear from you, my friend. Uh, Ange, what's up, Ange? Over to you. Hey, Tomas. Hey, everyone. Um, it's great to be up here tonight. Um, I, uh, I've just spent the last three some odd years uh, doing uh, forensics for business email compromise uh, incidents. Um, and so my, my background so far in the field, although it's been really limited because three years is also the amount of time that I've been in cybersecurity, um, I've had a really laser sharp focus on BEC, EAC, uh, crimes and fraud. And so Evan, getting to come up here and kind of listen to you talk about culture and the importance of your customers has been really, really cool. Um, I would love to sort of pivot it, although I, I think we could all talk about culture for the entire night, I'd love to pivot it to BEC. Um, you know, I tossed in the chat earlier this uh, evening for, I, I think, the last, what, 10 years? BECs have gone up year over year uh, for the amount of money lost. And so this year, I, you know, FBI IC3 found that over $2 billion was lost in scams just related to BEC EAC. That's not romance scams. That's not gift card scams. That's not CEO impersonation, right? It's just BEC EAC, the account compromise. And so um, I've asked a couple of people this, actually, I think I asked Katie this at one point, but Evan, to you, from a technology perspective, what does a year look like that reduces that number, that lost, uh, that money lost? Um, so I'd, I'd love to kind of ask you the technology-based question here of like, what can we do to really bring that number slamming downward, in your opinion? You know, all my entrepreneurial instincts are uh, telling me to like plug our product right here, but I'm going to try to avoid those because I'm trying to like, you know, grow mature as a 
CEO. Um, so I think like the, um, in, in, like, in, and I think you're right. Like, you know, BC is one of these things that people don't underestimate, right? And when you look, or so they totally underestimate. And when you look in like the internet and the newspapers, right? All you hear about is ransomware and identity theft, right? And there's a huge disconnect between the kind of perceived cybersecurity problems versus the actual security problems, right? And the the IC3 report, report that you mentioned, right, by the FBI, it's a really interesting window, right? Because when you lose money as a business, right, you don't go to Twitter or New York Times to talk about it. You do call up the FBI to help you get your money back, right? So I think it's a really good, you know, objective data source, right, that's helpful. So I think that, you know, um, you, you know, uh, BC and maybe social engineering generally, like, um, I think one of the big challenges is that, a lot of the conventional email security technologies were just not built for those type of attacks. So if you kind of go back like 15 years, you think about kind of classic secure email gateways, the problems they were trying to solve at the time were these kind of spray and pray campaigns, right? Basically spam, phishing, and malware. And so the core technologies in those products, right, to stop spam, you know, you want to build this giant database of bad stuff, right? IP addresses, domains, email addresses. And if you, maybe you miss a couple spam messages, but if you see, you know, but once you learn that, you can go stop the next billion, right? So, you know, these these gateways, you know, gateway type, type technologies, right? You have these reputation systems, very similar for, you know, stop phishing, right? You have, you know, URL analysis, right? You're building up giant database of bad links, bad domains. Same thing for malware, right? You're building up your bad list database of all the, you know, file signatures that are known bad. And so the kind of primary use cases that a lot of the technologies were built for was this concept that there's a big campaign going out to lots of people and, um, you know, if you, maybe you miss one or two, but like eventually you'll figure it out and all the customers that use that product will be protected. The, the, the challenge with kind of, you know, in the rise of these kind of social engineering and business email compromise attacks is, you know, if you think about the kind of canonical textbook example of business email compromise, an attacker goes and creates a Gmail account, right? They call it Evan Riser. They email, you know, the head of finance at Abnormal Security and they say, hey, can you help me pay this invoice? And so in that example, right, those technologies aren't going to work, right? There's no bad reputation because Gmail's, you can't block emails from Gmail. There's no links, there's no attachments. A lot of those conventional technologies, right, are, are going to be insufficient. That's why we see these attacks kind of get through, you know, um, kind of conventional technologies, right? So I think one is like a technology gap. And then obviously, as, as you probably know way better than I do, there's also just, you know, it's just easier for attackers, right? If an attacker can go, you know, criminals are business people of sorts, right? And they can wake up in the morning, then go spin up a thousand AWS servers and send out a trillion spam messages and make a thousand bucks. Or they can register a Gmail account and look me up on LinkedIn and go make a hundred thousand dollars. So of course there's just like better economics. And so we see more and more criminals shifting to these kind of social engineering attacks that are very targeted, personalized. And so it really requires kind of a different type of technology. So at the risk of being, you know, again, I'm not trying to be too commercial here, but you know, the, the core technology that we've built, right? That's not, you know, that someone else can go copy if they want is rather than kind of, you know, taking this threat intelligence based approach where you're kind of studying known bad, um, like that's insufficient for these type of attacks. They've never been seen before. So instead kind of the general approach that we use is we try to study known good behavior. So we integrate into, you know, email platforms, we build behavioral models of individual people, and then we kind of learn what are the normal business processes, right? What are the normal relationships or communications? You know, if you did that for abnormal, right, you'd realize that, hey, Evan doesn't email invoices to our CFO, right? Never happens, right? Even if it's my real email address, right? If that happens, it's something suspicious going on. So some of the, you know, um, I think the opportunity for, you know, this is what we do and other people could copy us if they want. The opportunity, right, is um, given that emails move to the cloud, 
those cloud um, platforms have new APIs which give you access to so much more data than just external emails coming in. So because you have access, you know, through cloud-based architectures, you can get so much more data from these environments that enables you to take kind of this better machine learning AI-based approach to kind of build these behavioral models. And those models are much more effective at stopping these types of attacks where you can have you know, 10x reduction in false negatives while also reducing false positives. So I think that the fundamental kind of technology shift in terms of the approach has to move away from kind of studying known bad, which is very good for spam, gray mail, and kind of some types of phishing and malware. It needs to kind of focus on, you know, anomaly detection based on known good. And at least kind of in our experience, and, we, you know, we protect about 5% of the Fortune 1000 today, that is a very effective approach for stopping an attack that's never been seen before, whether it's, you know, a business email compromise or some general social engineering or kind of, you know, zero-day phishing or malware. Yeah, I mean, Evan, I think that's 100% correct. And we've been watching it year over year, you know, the call is coming from inside the house, right? Like, totally. you know, oftentimes, yeah, I mean, oftentimes there are known accounts uh, or known contacts to you that are sending you that phishing email, or it's even coming from internal. And so, you know, I, I love the idea and I don't work for Abnormal. I, I have not used your product, but I love the idea of knowing where threat intelligence exists and should live within BECs but then saying, you know, we're smarter than that. And just because we've done status quo for a long time doesn't mean that we need to continue to create solutions around threat intel or TTPs or things like that. Um, I think it's it's cool to, to hear that as a sales solution. Um, when it comes to these TTPs and things like that, there is some really cool stuff that could be done once an account is compromised to sort of recognize those things quickly and, and remediate that. Um, do you have any general best security practices though to just, I mean, I know what you're going to say, but I'd love for you to say them anyway. Like, how can we just not let these accounts get compromised in the first place, aside from ascribing to, to AI or machine learning? Yeah, um, I don't, I, it, uh, I mean, obviously I, I have to say like, you know, buying our product helps. I think there's probably just some, you know, basic things um, like, I, I don't know, right? It, it's really hard. And I don't think the solution is just train all your users to kind of understand phishing attacks. Um, there, there are some kind of ways to um, mitigate some of the more sophisticated types of attacks. I mean, we've seen that kind of uh, monitoring, um, you know, like mail rule configuration changes is very effective for stopping kind of internal account compromise, looking for um, uh, payment request changes, right, from third-party vendors, especially when the reply to email is changed like that's very effective for supply chain compromise there's probably some kind of rules and heuristics right to stop kind of the most basic things but um you know but it's really hard to stop you know the new attack on the tomorrow no one's ever seen before without kind of using a lot of data science and machine learning it's very difficult no evan that's a great answer thanks so much um and i really appreciate all the talk that you have about the culture um, I, I think more than anything else, that's the biggest thing that I've taken from tonight. So really appreciate you, sir. Thanks for letting me ask questions as usual, you guys. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for popping up on stage as always. So look, it's we, we've got, uh, oh, I see Ryan's back. Uh, Evan, we've got, I know we've got two to nine, uh, 9.30 our time. Uh, I'm trying to do my math. What is that? 6.30 your time. Um, but we've got maybe three questions if you can hang with us. So Ryan, go ahead. I, I can hang. I just got to jump in the car, sir. Forgive me if there's a little bit of noise, but happy to stay on. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try not to keep you too long, but we I know we've got three questions that we want to get to. So Ryan, go ahead. You've got one of the three. 
All right. Thanks so much. Hey, I meant to ask this earlier and it was one of the things I thought of, you know, you mentioned, I think three times, Evan, that when you're first, you had your first business that it, um, it failed because you barely, or, or you could only pay for the server fees. You never thought about paying, you know, you and whoever else was in that business. And, you know, my first immediate thought was like, well, gee, if you had done that business today and had the cloud, like, would it have been successful? And I just thought that that would be kind of a funny, you know, one of those things where, you know, the idea was still successful, but maybe the timing wasn't right. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think that, uh, I think if I could kind of go back in time, I just never would have done I think we lost him, do we? Yeah, he might be settling in the car. Yeah, yeah his, his, his phone is probably syncing up with his, uh, with his car. We'll give him a minute. Evan, we'll give you a minute. Um, he's on mute. I don't know if he knows he's on mute, though, too. Evan, you're on mute if you, uh, if you don't already know that. Oh, no, it's been a great session, you know. Yeah, Ryan yeah, broke ending. it. We could, bro we could blame Ryan. She broke She broke the clubhouse this evening. It was her. Hey, Sorry about that. I got disconnected. Okay. <laughs> no worries. All Thanks. Right. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, Evan. No, they were blaming me. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I had to leave the house. I forgot my the cell phone access was turned off. Um, so sorry, did, did, uh, did any of my answer come through? I didn't realize it until your, I stopped Your talking. famous last words were, I never would have, and I presumed you were going to say never would have had that company. That, that, that's right. So I think that um, oh wow, to make, to make a business successful, um, you know, it's both picking the right business and the right product, the right market, and execution. And great execution can't make up for bad markets or bad products. So I think that like those businesses were just never kind of set up for success. So you could have the best managers and leaders in the world and, you know, they can only do so much. So I think like a big part of entrepreneurship is just picking, you know, really understanding kind of what the value you bring to your customers, making sure it's a valuable business um, and valuable business being it has good margins, it's scalable, there's a big market and that at least for, you know, public companies, right, is there a good multiple associated with that? I feel like most people might ask what books you'd recommend. I would just like to say, I kind of hope you write a book. And if and if you have, then I need the title of it. But thanks so much and really can't emphasize enough that this was really an incredible story. So um, I, I sent you a message uh, in Clubhouse and thanks again. And thanks, Tomas, for letting me ask my question. Yep, no, absolutely. Um, and and everything, in case you don't know, there's a little back channel on Clubhouse. Uh, you just got to click through there uh, to see your messages. Um, so, uh, Hussein, I know you want to ask a question. Do you want to ask it or you want to pass? Uh, I'll pass, you know, it's getting late. I know Evan's got plenty of things to do. All right. So Evan, Thank you. I, I just want to ask you, which is typically our last, uh, the, one of the last questions that I ask, and, and sometimes I open up to the mods, uh, to ask question, but I know we're pressed for time. If you had any piece of advice for the younger Evan, what would it be and why? I'm glad you're asking me that question, Tomas, because I was kind of terrified to come on today because I thought you were going to ask me a question about football, and I know nothing about it. So I'm, I'm glad that that's the last question. So, so I gotta get I you. I'm gonna have to get you out to a game, Evan. Next time I'm in uh, in the Bay Area. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, just don't tease me too much for being a, like an amateur. Um, so I think the, um, I mean, the advice I would give myself is probably different than I give other people. The big one for me is like that I would give myself is you, know, you, you just you're not going to learn by having an ego, and that there's so much um, and there's only so many things you can teach yourself. It's very valuable to. I think it's critical if you really want to learn. Right, it requires some vulnerability to admit that you don't know things. It requires humility and a growth mindset to go actively seek out advice and kind of mentorship. Um, I think those are like the most important things because through those things you can kind of learn everything else. But if you if you're closed-minded, right? If you think you know everything, if you don't appreciate that you can learn something from everyone you encounter, right? You're really going to get in the way of your own learning. So that would be kind of the advice for I'll give myself if I could. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Look, it it is uh, five minutes after. I know you're in you're in transit, um, but I do want to take a moment to to thank you. And just very very quickly before we sort of conclude, uh, I want to just remind everybody we'll be back here next week. Uh, Taylor Parker. Uh, uh, yep, Taylor Parker, I believe I said that correctly, will be joining us next week. So please tune in next week. Evan, again, a bunch of, uh, uh, um, a bunch, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm talking about half the time. Uh, big, big thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend with us, sharing your words of, your words of wisdom, as is commonly called on, on Clubhouse Gems. Uh, you know, you shared a lot of interesting uh, facts about yourself and, and your journey, uh, which I'm sure is very helpful for people that are either trying to start a business, going through the process of starting businesses and, and maybe potentially failing or, or having those doubts. Um, there was probably a bunch more stuff that we could have talked about. I know I would have liked to get into some of the VC side and how does that all work out for uh, for companies like like yourself as you're starting out, but look, find Evan on LinkedIn if you if you haven't already. Uh, try to connect with him or send you know connect. Definitely look at his his company. Uh, it's definitely one to uh, to take advantage of if you are suffering for a business email compromise or want to improve your your security uh, email um, products and product suite. So, Matt, uh thank you. Any final words before we kind of wrap? Yes, thank you, Evan, for coming on tonight and spending time with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for hosting me. I feel really privileged to get to share my experience, and your mileage will may vary. And uh, but um, yeah, I feel really thankful to get uh, spend time with you guys. Sounds good. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, everybody. Have a good evening, Evan. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Okay, Have a good evening, care. everybody. Cheers. Bye. Bye, everyone.